Are there any good-looking podcast listeners out there tonight? Soccer dude, rockin' America. He doesn't know soccer, but he's gonna talk about soccer dude, rockin' America. Tactical analysis, transfer news. Unlikely. Hey, that's not what I wrote. I don't really care. We're going with it now. All right, soccer dude, rockin' America. Hello and welcome to Soccer Noob Rockin' America featuring Person Noob. I'm Soccer Noob. I'm fairly new to following the sport. This is my co-host and nine-year-old daughter, Person Noob. She's relatively new to being alive, being only nine, hence our names. We were Tend to Track as a podcast named for our first year, many previewing matches from around the globe every single week. Now we basically do the exact same thing, but just a little bit more lean on American soccer. As we like to say, we cover the sport from our home and then the region and then matches from all over the world. Which matches? Well, the most intriguing and important ones we can find, of course, but as we define that, and that's oftentimes a little bit different than any other show you're going to find. Uh, we look at top two league matchups, important clashes from international club and national team events, FA Cups, uh, men's and women's footy. Episode 56, it covers matches from Friday, November 5th through Thursday the 11th. Let's kick things off right now with... March number one! For this show, our soccer week always runs Friday through the preceding Thursday. And this Friday, unlike the last at least three weeks, I believe, we actually have a Friday match that made our best and most intriguing list that we're going to talk about because there's a big shiny trophy on the line. It is the AFC Cup Final. That is a club international tournament. Uh, the winner is going to qualify for the Champions League in Asia next year, 2022. So what exactly is the AFC Cup? A secondary international club tournament. It's not quite like, say, the Europa League, though. Here's who this is for and what sort of clubs get in. If you're in the bottom 60% of all the leagues in Asia, your champion or any of your teams will not go to the Champions League. They'll actually go to the AFC Cup. And then from some of those better leagues, most of them, their second or third or maybe even fourth place teams will get a chance at international competition by also playing in the AFC Cup. No losing teams from the Champions League drop down into the AFC Cup like happens with the European equivalents of these events. It, this is a standalone event. The final is Muharak which is playing host, and they are out of the country of Bahrain. And they are taking on Nasaf Karshi out of Uzbekistan. My thoughts on who's going to win this? Well, the team that you're going to want to put all your SOM on, that is a currency, S-O-M. We'll find out at the end of the mini preview who exactly it is I'm picking, and I think you'll learn why. First, we'll talk about the host team from Bahrain, Muharak, that is the number three size city, about 200,000 in the little island country there of Bahrain. It was actually the capital of the nation until 1932. It's now Manama. And it is, uh, of all the Muslim population there, it is mostly Sunni. As far as the footy, the Bahraini uh, Premier League is rated number six out of the 42 teams. So a little bit below average, but still pretty decent in AFC rankings. 
This team won this event in 2008, and what a year it was for them. They actually also won all three domestic trophies, their league, their FA Cup, and something equivalent to their League Cup, I'm sure. And they were the first club out of Bahrain to ever win any sort of international event. Domestically, 34 league titles. Their most recent one was in 2018. That said, I don't believe, so there's an asterisk here, that they have made an international appearance since the 2013 Asian Cup for some reason. In any case, they qualified for this event by winning the 2019-2020 Kings Cup, which is their equivalent of an FA Cup. They advanced to the final by beating all Kuwait 2-0 in what was called the West Asia Interzonal Final. There are uh, four subdivisions within Asia, and you have to work your way out of those into the last four, and then the final two, and so on. League play this year, it's just getting going. They're 0-1-2. They're in last place, but most of the teams have played one or two more uh, matches than them. So looking back at last year to get an idea of the identity of this team, they finished in fourth place in league play, uh, just fifth best offense, very average in this 10-team league, but they had the second best defense, and it's not really an offensively oriented league, at least it wasn't last year, because their overall goal differential, I believe that they were in second in any case, tied for number four in league scoring as far as players to look for, Abdalrahman Bakarat. Uh, no, it is definitely not uh, spelled the same as the casino game, but I'm going to pronounce it the same, just the same. He is a Syrian attacker, just 23 years old, and this is his first year playing for a non-Syrian club. And then on the event scoring leaderboard for this event is another guy, Ismail Abdul Latif, uh, long in the soccer too, 35 years old. He's a Ford, and he was born right here in Muharraq. As far as the team's current form, they are 2-2-0 in their last four. Their last two matches were wins, and they pitched shutouts in both of them. Now, Nasaf Karshi. Uh, Karshi is the name of the town, and it is in the southern part of the country. In fact, more or less right on the Afghan border. It's a city of about a quarter million people, known for in the region for natural gas production, more internationally known for their production of very flat-styled carpets. And they are known as the Dragons, which I enjoy because any team that is not the Lions is always okay with me. Uh, the Uzbek Super League is the sixth-ranked league in the AFC, believe it or not. That's because they claimed up four matches from last year. They are really on the rise. This club won this team in 2011, and they've made six Champions League appearances, and they made the group stage in four of those, most recently in 2018. Interestingly, they've actually never won the league, but in the 2010s, they finished in second place three different times. They advanced to this final match by beating Al Ahal out of Turkmenistan 3-2 in the West Asian Zonal Final. They qualified for this event by finishing in second place in their league last year. Actually, that slot, this league is good enough that that qualified them, technically speaking, for a Champions League spot. But for some reason, and I don't know what all is involved with this, I suspect it has to do with uh, your ground's size and how good a shape it's in, but I really don't know for sure. They could not get a Champions League license, so they had to give up their Champions League slot to third-place league players AGMK. They got the Champions League spot, and then they got AGMK's AFC Cup spot. It must be easier to get a license for that. Now, in this country, the 2021 season is nearly done, and they're in third place currently, so we can have a little bit better look at them. Very well balanced. Third best offense, number four defense in the league. Uh, they score less than one goal, or rather they give up less than one goal per match, and they also have the second best goal differential. Uh, key player to look for is probably second highest leading scorer, Kusian, and I'm not sure about the CH, so it's either Norkayev or Norchayev, I believe. 
In any case, who is it that I think is going to win? I don't care if they're on the road. This is a Champions League caliber team, and the whole league is on the rise. Give me Nassaf Karshi all day long. By the way, Sam Esam is the currency of Uzbekistan. And uh, just as a little trivial side note, in uh, Bahrain, it is the Dinar. This is just a better league and a higher caliber team, and I think they're going to really have their way of it in the final. Match number B. Thank you for reminding us. As always, person noob. Then number two, ugh, it's bathroom talk. Number B is much more fit for polite society. And so, noobites, join us in our quiet revolution to replace number two with number B in your lives. And now, this is a Saturday match, match number B. We're going to shift our perspective back to the U.S., the USL Championship. It's the conference quarterfinals. That's the first round of the playoffs. They are just getting going. This is the second division for my newer listeners in American soccer. And here's how we got here. Two conferences, two divisions in each of those. The top four teams from each of the divisions all got into the playoffs. Where you finished in your division matters. Because, for example, number one out of the Pacific Division in the West, Phoenix Rising, gets to play host by virtue of a better league finish against number four, Rio Grande Valley FC Toros out of the Western Conference's Mountain Division. The winners are going to get to face off next round against either number B in the Mountain Division, San Antonio, or number three from the Pacific Division, San Diego Loyal. As far as the overall series, Phoenix have easily had the best of it, 5-3-0. and oh, They're undefeated all time against RGV. That said, they haven't played this year. And you can catch this match online, ESPN Plus, streaming 10.30 Eastern time, should you choose. My thoughts on this, I wish I had a siren or something, maybe because I would say upset alert, upset alert. I think RGV are going to take this. But let's talk about uh, your on-paper favorites first, Phoenix Rising. Uh, they play out of Chandler, a suburb of Phoenix. This is their fifth season in existence. They had the best record in the entire league just two seasons ago, 2019, and they made it to the playoff semifinals. Last year, they were second place in the West and made the playoff conference championships. This year, they absolutely ran away with their division, beating Orange County by 15 points. They didn't quite win the Supporters' Shield as as far as having the best overall record in the entire league, but they did have the second most points. As far as their statistics, they had the number one offense by a mile, scoring over scoring over two times per game, and they had the number one defense by just a little bit statistically. Things were a little bit more uh, compressed in that particular way in this particular division. Key player to look for, tied for number seven across the entire league in scoring, is Spanish forward Santi Moar, I believe it is, M-O-A-R. Interestingly, he played his college ball here in the United States, went to a school I'd never heard of, Divisions three school, so maybe not even on scholarship, Pfeiffer University in North Carolina. Yeah, here he is, just one league shy of the MLS. Another name to look for in the box score, tied for number two and assists in the entire league, Eohad Quinn. He is an American midfielder. This team's current form, they are 1-2-0 and oh in their last three. So not bad, but not exactly red hot. And I worry a little bit whether or not this team can sort of turn it back on. Meanwhile, RGV, they play out of Edinburgh, Texas. It is not Brownsville, but short of that, it is about as far south as you can possibly get. Not too surprising, given that they're named after the Rio Grande uh, River and the surrounding valley. Uh, It's a city of uh, uh, well over 100,000 people. Last year, they only finished in 12th place in the Western Conference, did not make the playoffs. In their four years here at this division, they used to play at a lower one. They have yet to have a winning record. They beat out New Mexico United by just one little point for the last playoff spot out of their division. 
That said, they're very well balanced. They had a, a little bit better than average offense and defense, and that was good for the number four uh, goal differential in the division. Their strength is really more in their defense, I think. Uh, probably their best player, maybe overall, on the goalkeeping statistical leaderboard, 33-year-old Tyler Derrick. He came up with Houston. He's got a lot of experience, which I really like. He made 90 appearances for the Dynamo between 2009 and 2019. Uh, but truly, from a statistical standpoint, their all-around best player might be Rodrigo Lopez. He's their central midfielder, another veteran. I really like that, 33 years old. And he's got five goals, six assists on the year. Uh, great on crosses, well over accurate on uh, – one out of every four of those, which is very good. Great passer, solid tackler, not as good in open space anymore, given that he's a veteran, but I'm sure in this league he's got a lot of youngsters around him. And their form, they are red hot. They have been fighting for their playoff lives. So they have won three straight and have a 9-4-2 against goal differential. Give me the veterans. Give me the fact that they already feel like they've been playing in the playoffs just to keep their season going. And I will take the Toros for the road upset. Match number three. This is another Saturday match. We're going to stay here right in the U.S. And in fact, right in the great state of Arizona. This time we're looking at the start of the playoffs for the USL League One, which is the third tier one right below the league that we just talked about in American soccer. This is the first round of their playoffs and it is the quarterfinals. This is a 12-team league, no conferences, no divisions. They all play together and the top six of the 12 teams make the playoffs. The top two teams advance straight to the semifinals. The match that we're going to focus on is number three from the regular season, FC Tucson, playing host to number six, Richmond Kickers. And if you follow this league to some degree, uh, yes, you're not imagining things, deja vu. They did, in fact, just play on Saturday the 30th. Tucson came out on top four to two, and here they are again. As far as the recent series and maybe overall series, the Kickers have had the best of it with a 3-3-1 record. The winners are going to advance to play number B from the regular season, Greenville Triumph. And you can catch this one, ESPN Plus, 10 o'clock Eastern time. My thoughts on this, that it won't be close, that your home team is going to win in a route. And let's talk about your likely victors and waiting, in my opinion, first. They just moved up to the USL uh, Championship League One uh, from the Premier Developmental League three seasons ago, and even lower division. In those three seasons, they've gotten better and better each time. Number eight three years ago, number six last year, and now number four. They finished as part of a three-way tie for the last three playoff spots, fourth through sixth. They get to host uh, by virtue not of uh, head, not of goal differential, rather, but rather by virtue of having had a better head-to-head record because they won that game against Richmond just a few days ago. They now get to host. In any case, how did they do in the regular season statistically? Excellent on offense, best uh, in their in the whole league. They uh, averaged over 1.5 goals per match. The defense was somewhat suspect, to be perfectly honest. They were uh, the fourth to worst team, number nine. That was good for an overall tied for fifth on goal differential, so pretty average in that regard. Key man to look for on the scoring leaderboard and tied for number B in assists in this league, Englishman Charlie Dennis. He played his college ball over here for a couple of uh, Division II U.S. colleges, actually, in the southeast part of the country. The team's current form, they are 2-1-0 in their last three with a 9-5 and goal differential. And now coming to visit, Richmond Kickers. They are the Red Army, or the Ruse. I talked about them just an episode or two ago, and I said that I didn't really look too hard into why they were called the Ruse, R-O-O. R-O-O-S. I looked a little harder this time, couldn't find any kangaroo references 
or any other answers for that matter. So if there's anybody from that part of the country who can explain to me why they're the ruse, I would love to hear about it. You can find me on Twitter at Soccer Noob USA. In any case, uh, this team has a couple of titles to their credit, but they were Division Three titles. The most recent one was in 2013. This year, they had the seventh best offense and defense in the league. I think they were a little lucky to get this far. But tied for number one in league scoring, Emiliano Terzaghi, Argentinian forward, is there supposed to. This is his first season in any North American league. In all the South American leagues he played for, he never featured prominently anywhere. I don't think he's ever been a full-time starter till now. Statistically, number one in clean sheets and goalkeeping, despite the fact that they finished seventh overall this, in this category in the league, is Akira Fitzgerald, guy who played his college ball at Wake, at Wake Forest, and he has spent his entire senior career with the United States non-MLS club. The team's current form, well, they had won five straight before losing their last two. They've only scored two goals in their last two matches. Now, from what I can tell reading the stats, and I haven't gotten to watch a ton of play in this league, to be perfectly honest, but it seems like if Richmond give up one goal, they're going to give up a ton of goals. They're either shutouts or just absolutely getting blown out. And Phoenix is a team that can really score in uh, clusters. And so I think that Phoenix at home are going to have an easy time with this, just like they scored four goals in their game on Saturday, the 30th against Richmond. Match number four. And we're off to Europe to the higher league, which is what they call the top flight in Latvia. This is one of Europe's summer leagues. They're down to the last match round of the season. This is the number 37 ranked league in all of Europe. So they get just one Champions League berth, and then they get either two or three Europa League conference berths. That's the new international tertiary club tournament that just started up this year. And your matchup that we're going to look at is, normally it's a top two, but in this case, it's number three, Riga FC, taking on number B, Valmyra. And it's really important to both. Valmyra can still get into the Champions League. It's the last match round, and they are only two points behind the number one team, RFS. So they're going to need some help, but they can still get there. Meanwhile, uh, Riga FC are fighting really hard to hang on to what might be the last ECL spot, and they are way behind the top two, but they're only one point ahead of a team we talked about last week, Leah Paya. So they need to get at least a draw out of this as well to ensure themselves of an international tournament berth. Now, who's going to win? Well, we don't know, at least not yet. For sure knowledge, the kind we can literally bank on, we turn to our 3,500-year-old soothsayer, Noob Stradamus, for a result, a division surely worth gambling on. Take it away, holy diviner of the footy. Greetings from Old Town Riga. Noob... I'm going to cut right to the chase. When I fathomed you would want me to prognosticate a match score here, I was most pleased, but perhaps not for the best reason. So more specifically, hello from Folk Clubs a la Pagrubs, a truly traditional and gargantuan, old-style traditional basement pub. We came to celebrate life and footy, but have overdone it. Winter has arrived, of course, and that means my one weakness... Well, other than getting high on expired prescription pills to aid soccer-related visions... 
That is Resikin's Briver's Lager. It's just released for the season. And I have had... Gundega, how many of these dark, biscuity pints have I downed? Any other time of year and I'd be on the homemade rhubarb wine mojitos here. But lagers for me in November... Bother. She's lost track as well. The drinking and dancing here is day and night. Traditional folk dances from the rural communities here in Old Town kept alive. They represent sowing, reaping, fishing, important life events, and then mimic various animals and birds as well. And I can do them all, though I think I'm soused enough to not try my next number on the table. Good luck with the footy betting or whatever. I have drank and I have spoken. Match number five. This is our final Saturday match and we're headed back to Asia one more time. South Korea's K-League 1 is the top flight there. As of the new AFC or Asian coefficient rankings, this is now the second best league in all of Asia that is up four spots from a year ago. They're right behind the new number one, by the way, Saudi Arabia, and then right below them is number three, Japan. It is China that has had an abysmal last 24 to 36 months. They dropped down from number one all the way to number seven, making this shakeup possible. Uh, this league is normally guaranteed three Champions League bursts, but this year the third place team is not guaranteed a spot. Pohang Steelers of South Korea are still alive in the Champions League. I believe they're down to their final four. In any case, if Pohang Steelers win, they get to steal one of those three spots if they didn't qualify for it themselves. And right now, I believe they're in fourth place. It is Daegu FC who are in third, and so they are rooting against Pohang Steelers. In any case, these two teams have definitely qualified for the 2022 Champions League, but they're still after that trophy. It's getting down to the nitty-gritty. There are only four matches left here in the regular season. My thoughts on this, though, you can subtitle this mini-preview, Give Me the Perfect Region, and I'll explain momentarily. Your matchup is number one, Jambuk FC, versus number B, Ulsan Hyundai. They're actually tied in the table on points. Jambuk lead by 10 on goal differential. They both lead number three, uh, Daegu FC, by 18 points. This has been a two-horse race from the word go. Historically, or at least in recent years, Jambuk have had the best of it with a 23-16-6 record against Ulsan. But it is Ulsan that have had their way of it this year. They beat Jambuk. Uh, two to three in the Champions League, and then they uh, drew them twice and beat them once here in the league season. Let's talk about the host team first, Jean Bouc. Uh, they play out of the city of Jeanju, which is in the southeast part of the country, city of about 700,000. It's not really as heavily industrialized as most of the other South Korean, uh, South Korean major metropolitan areas, but it is very famous for both its traditional and modern cuisine, a big gastro area. This is the place you want to go if you love food and you're in South Korea. And the word either Jeanbuk or Jeanju, I don't remember which, but translates to 
perfect region. And this is the team that I think is going to win it. They are known as the Warriors. They have won two Champions League titles, most recently got one in 2016. They lost in the quarterfinals this year. We talked about that just a moment ago. They are the four-time defending league champions. They've won eight league titles overall historically. That is the most in the nation's history. And that is uh, they've won them all since 2009. They're the best offense, best defense. They were the only team, I believe, that was letting in less than one goal per game. Uh, key people to look for on this one if you can watch it. Tied for number three in league scoring from Brazil is Gustavo. He plays striker. And then another striker tied with him on goal. So they're really heavy up front, apparently, is a Russian player named Stanislav Ilyashenko, and then tied for number one in the league on assists. Why not when you've got those two strikers playing in front of you is attacking midfielder Kim Bo-kyung. And British soccer fans might remember him. He played for Cardiff City and uh, Wigan Athletic between 2012 and 2015. The team's current form, they are 1-1 in their last, 1-1-1 and in their last three, have a very impressive uh, 9-4 to goal differential over that stretch. And now Ulsan, the Tigers. Ulsan is the number seven largest city in the country. It's in the southeast area, and this is the industrial powerhouse. They're actually also sponsored by Hyundai, Hyundai Heavy Industries specifically. If you look at their city, I mean, you want to talk industrial powerhouse, they really take it up to another level, raise the bar. Largest auto assembly plant in the world, it's right there. Largest shipyard in the world, right there. And then keep it all running is the th world's third largest oil refinery. Now, as far as the footy, they have won two Champions League titles, and they are the defending Champions League titleists. Oddly enough, they've only won the league title twice, and the last one of those was all the way back in 2005. Last year, they finished in second place in the league. This year, they were second best in your offense and your defense. Key players to look for. Number six scorer in the league is Lee Dong-jun from there in South Korea. He is a winger, just 24 years old. Number six on assists, Kim Tae-hwan. He is a, a box to box player, plays everything from fullback all the way up to winger. Everything tends to run through him. But I believe their best all-around player that I don't read about quite as much might be a guy from the Georgian Republic, their left winger, uh, Valerie Kazashvili. American fans may recognize him, particularly those on the West Coast. Yes, this is the same guy as if there are two maybe running around with that name. I don't know. Maybe it's a common Georgian name. In any case, he played for San Jose from 2017 all the way up until February of this year. Uh, only had a goal and an assist so far for his team this year, but uh, he plays a lot of uh, – he plays left winger officially, but this guy really runs things uh, in the center of the field. He's a central attacking midfielder for all intents and purposes. And I think that they are going to be able to shut him down and therefore shut the team down. The team's form is only 1-2-0 uh, and oh in their last three, and they only had a 5-6 and six goal differential in that stretch of three games. So I think they're fading just a little bit, and this one will go to Jean Bouc. Kittens, assemble! Actually, it's just the sounder that means that it's time for us to take a break from doing mini previews for matches for the coming week and look back at matches we covered last week. Recap time. Saturday brought us match number one out of the USL Championship, and it was number one in their division, Birmingham Legion, taking on number B, Louisville City. The result was a 
Louisville nil one win, just like Noob called it. Hey, not too shabby. Louisville therefore get the number one seat for the playoffs from their division. Sunday, match number B from the NWSL. Number three, Washington Spirit took on number six, Houston Dash. The result was a one nil win in favor of the home Washington Spirit. Trinity Rodman, she who normally is big on assists, had a goal. That drops Houston down to seventh and out of the playoffs. Match number three from Turks and Caicos Islands in the Caribbean, their premier league. Um, I said it was going to be number B, SWA Sharks, taking on number one beaches. I had the home and away turned around. In any case, it was the Sharks that came out on top one to two. That moves them up to number one and beaches all the way down to number three. Noobstradamus said this would be 3-1 in favor of the Sharks. So not bad on your vision. It was close-ish. Match number four from the Dominican Republic's top flight, the Liga Mayor. It was the second leg of a home and away two-legged tie of their playoffs, their final. Cibao versus Vega Real, although it turned out once again, something about these Caribbean teams, I had to turn around. It was Vega Real hosting Cibao, but that didn't stop Cibao. They won one to three on extra time after leg one and gone one to one. So Cibao are your Dominican champions or Dominican Republic champions. I don't want to mix it up with the other Caribbean nation, having won two to four on aggregate. Match number five from Nicaragua's uh, Primera División, the Apertura stage. We had number one Real Esteli taking on number B Dirion Hen. The result was Real Esteli. Once again, just like I called it, I should have put some quid down on some of these. Real Esteli won in a route, three to nil. Real Esteli are now number one by three points and 11 on goal differential with only a match to go. So I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Congratulations to Esteli. They look to be your Apertura champs. Match number six from Finland's Vikos League at number B, KUPS, took on number one, HJK. The result was a 1-1 draw. Match seven from Mozambique's Mosambola, number one, Black Bulls Maputo, taking on number B, Ferroviario Baira. And only needing a result, they actually got the win. Black Bulls won 3-1. Congratulations to the titleists for the year from Mozambique. Tuesday, match number eight from UEFA's Champions League group stage. Atlanta hosted Man United in the most interesting-looking match, and they tied 2-2. Two to two. Uh, For Manchester United, Christian Ronaldo had a brace. Match number nine, we went back to Major League Soccer. Number nine in the West, LAFC took on number eight, Vancouver, and it was a 1-1 draw. Vancouver's Christian Dahomey had a goal, and it was assisted by Brian White. Two of the players we said to look out for, their stars are getting it done. Vancouver end up moving up to number six. Thursday, match number 10 in CONCACAF League quarterfinal action, leg two of the two-legged home and away tie between Comunicaciones and Saprissa. And it was Comunicaciones out of Guatemala taking the match two to one. That tied up the match, or the tie rather, on aggregate five to five between the two matches. And so, Comunicaciones advance on the way goals. Congratulations for them. By advancing to the semifinals, they have automatically guaranteed themselves a spot in next year's CONCACAF Champions League. Saprissa fans like me, don't be sad. They still have a chance to crack the top six and also make it. And then your bonus matches with explanations coming later. The route of the week, Sunday from the Cypriot First Division. That's the nation of Cyprus, number one. AEK Larnaca took on last place number 12, Ethnikos Achnas or Achnas, and it was Larnaca coming out on top 1 0. So the favorites won, but not in the route we thought it would be. The most meaningless match in the world, a Friday match out of the United Arab Emirates 
Trolli, Korfakan took on Ajman, and the result was a Korfakan 2 0 win. And then finally, the match was disappointed. The Sunday match from Bulgaria's first professional league, number 14, Kirin Blagoevgra, took on number 13, Sarsko Selo Sofia. 2015, and the result was a Piran win, 2-1. to one. Guy was said to look for as a possible man of the match, had the assist on the game winner. That was Anton Karachnikov, and that moved Piran up to number 11. And that does it for the recap from last week's matches. Now let's dive right back into next week's match mini previews with... Match number 6. We flipped the calendar to Sunday, and no rest for the weary. Back to the United States, we go one more time. Match number six is the start of the playoffs in the NWSL, the National Women's Soccer League top flight here in the U.S. And we're going to take a look at number four, Chicago Red Stars. They're taking on number five from the regular season, New Jersey slash New York, Gotham FC. The winners are going to get to play number one, Portland. Here's how things worked in the regular season. It's a 10-team league. The top six made the playoffs. The top two advanced straight to the semifinals. As far as these two teams, Chicago have had the best of the series with a 9-6-4 record. This year, Gotham have had the better of it, though. Gotham FC had a 1-2-0 record against Chicago this year. That said, Chicago did finish three points ahead of them in the regular season. You can watch this one on CBS Sports Network at 3 o'clock Eastern time, should you choose. We'll talk about the hosts first, the Red Stars of Chicago. The Stars, what do they mean, if anything? Well, they do mean something. Each of the sticks are part of the flag of Chicago, and they each stand for an important historical event that has taken place in the city's history, like the Great Fire, for example. They do not play in Chicago proper, per se. They play way out in Bridgeview, which is about 15 miles southwest, not of the city center, but even the Chicago Loop, period. Uh, the Village Bridgeview is only about 20,000 people. It's a really interesting area. It's been uh, growing in uh, size and in diversity. A lot of Arab population booming over there, particularly for some reason, and I wish I'd seen why, uh, people, from Palestine, uh, for people from Palestine, the West Bank, are flocking there, as are Jordanians. In any case, as far as the footy, this team has the longest active playoff streak going. They've made it every year from 2015 to this year. Uh, 2019, they were runners-up. That's the best finish they've ever had. This year, only number six in both offense and defense. In fact, they don't really score much more than one goal per game. Uh, on the assist leaderboard for important players to look for if you're watching, Mallory Pugh, she plays forward for them, and she should be a name that is well-known uh, to women's national teams fans. Uh, she's got 63 caps with them. On the assist leaderboard for the entire league is also Kelia Watt. She plays midfielder, and if that last name is familiar from athletic circles too. Yeah, she is married to a superstar from the NFL. J.J. Watt plays gridiron for, I want to say he's with Arizona now. But their best all-around player, and she doesn't get quite as much talk, I think is their central defensive midfielder, Morgan Bryant. She's got a really good combination of being able to uh, tackle very, very well, wins a high percentage of those attempts. And then she's also great in open space if she gets the ball. So that could put them on the counter very, very easily. She's strong in that regard. As far as the team's current form, they have won three straight matches. Excellent on defense. They have only allowed one goal over those three. Now let's talk about Gotham FC. If that name is unfamiliar to you, New Bites, don't worry about it. This is a team that was previously known as Sky Blue. They rebranded this year. 
In 2013, they made their only playoff appearance, got all the way to the semifinals. Now, they have won a league title before, the old uh, Women's Professional Soccer League, the WPS. They won that in 2009. This year, their record is 8-11-5, and those 11 draws are far and away the most, almost 50% more draws, I think, than anybody else in the entire league. And I think that's going to be key. Statistically, the offense is good enough. The defense is excellent. They let in one uh, less than one goal per match. Tied for number two in league scoring to look for, Midge Purse. She plays forward, played her college ball at Harvard, which I think is fun. Then uh, tied for second best in assists in the league, Caprice Didasco. She did her college on the other side of the states, on the West Coast. She's from Hawaii, but played her ball for UCLA. She's a defender, but really box-to-box getting those assists. As far as the team's current form, they are unbeaten in their last eight, but the last three of those have all been 1-1 draws. It just seems like they're still playing good ball. They're in the playoffs for the reason. But this is why I think the Red Stars are going to be able to keep up with them and then force things to penalty kicks, and that that is where the home team, Chicago, will win. Match number seven. This is our second and final Sunday match. We stay here stateside. For a Major League Soccer match that we're going to mini-preview, this is the only major American league that is not yet in the playoffs, but this is called Decision Day Sunday. A little bit of a weird way to put it. All the teams are going to be, quote-unquote, deciding who gets into the playoffs and who doesn't. It's the last day of the regular season, but I don't think the teams that lose that could have been playoffs are really deciding anything. But you know what? It's alliterative. It's what they're going to do on TV and streaming. So be that as it all may... All of the matches nearly are going to have some importance on who finishes where in the seeding and therefore who gets to host playoff games or maybe who even finishes number one in their conference because, and let me explain, in the Eastern and Western conferences each, the top seven teams are going to make the playoffs and then the winners of each of the two conferences get to go straight through to the semifinals. We're going to be looking at the other end of the spectrum in the Eastern Conference. Number eight, Montreal, trying to work their way in playing host to number six in the East, Orlando, trying to hold on to one of those last two spots. Here's how the table looks. Orlando have 48. Montreal are two back at 46. New York Red Bulls are sandwiched right in between at 47. As far as the recent series between these two, Montreal have had the best of it with a 7-3-6 and six record. This year, they play in the regular season three times. This is going to be the third one. Orlando got to host the first two. They're in a 1-1 draw, and then Montreal won the second one, Two to four have been very impressive. Can they get the best of them a third time? You can find out watching it at 3.30 p.m. ESPN Plus, should you choose. My subtitle for this this one, my thoughts on who's going to win, let's title it Bad Urban Planning. If you listened last episode, I mentioned it once or twice before within the last year. You'll know where I'm going, but I'll be explaining shortly. First, let's talk about Montreal, your hosts. They joined Major League Soccer in 2012. Uh, Twice they have finished in third place in the Eastern Conference. 2015 was the most recent time. That's the best they've ever done. But that said, they've still gotten to go to the CONCACAF Champions League before. Why? Because you qualify through national play, and the three Canadian teams that are in Major League Soccer do not qualify for international play via their MLS finishes. Instead, they qualify for the CONCACAF League, which is a feeder tournament to the CONCACAF Champions League, the big one. Canadian teams like Montreal can qualify for that by winning their FA Cup, the Canadian Championship that is going on right now. But obviously still they want to do as well as they can in league play just for its own sake. 
And they've made, by the way, the CONCACAF Champions League quarterfinals twice, including last year. So they've done pretty well internationally from time to time. Last year in league play, they finished in ninth place in the East. That was good enough last year to make the playoffs. They did an, an, extend, an expanded playoff for some reason, and they lost in the very first or play-in round. This year, statistically, just have enough quality that maybe they're good enough for the playoffs. Number seven offense and number seven defense. Second best in the entire league on assists. They're really going to be leaning on him. Jorge Mahalovic, uh, despite the unusualness, seemingly at least to my Western tongue and eyes, the guy is American. He is Serbian and Macedonian in his lineage on each side. Came up with Chicago through their youth system, and he spent his entire pro career with them until coming over to Montreal. But the hottest player they probably got going right now is a French center back, defensive player named Rudy Camacho, who has played over in Europe before. Best club he's probably been with was uh, a decent Belgian club in uh, Wasland Beveren. He's got three goals on the year, including one in the very last match that this team played. Uh, he's amazing on his crosses, very accurate. In general, he's very good at passing. He's also very good at open space, so he can facilitate a lot of things and uh, make his own shot, so to speak, or in this case, make his own pass. He's pretty decent on tackling as well. As far as the team's current form, they are 2-0-1 in their last three, and they've all been low-scoring matches. Now, Orlando, the Lions, boo. Every other team in the world is the Lions. We just... They are displeasing to us, but in any case, last year they finished number four in the East and they made the conference semifinals for the playoffs. That was the first time they'd ever made the playoffs, in fact. This year, the offense has been good. The defense, not so good at all, well below average, only number nine in that category. Their overall goal differential just tied for eighth best in the conference, uh, 48, I believe, four and 48 against. On the assist leaderboard for the entire league, one of their key players is Mauricio Peraiwa. He is a Uruguayan attacking midfielder. Spent the bulk of his career over in Russia's Premier League with a team called Krasnodar. It's not one of the best ones, but it's not too bad. Kind of a third, fourth place finisher quite a bit in recent years, I believe. Goalkeeping on the leaderboard statistically, at least as far as clean sheets, Pedro Gaese, their Peruvian star, 2016 through 19, he played for Veracruz. Admittedly, not one of the better teams in Liga MX, but it's still Liga MX, probably still the best league in North America. And their best all-around player, for who a lot of fans will need no introduction, Nani from Portugal, left winger, 34 years old, spent the bulk of his career 2007 through 14 with Manchester United. Here, still trying to get things done. Ten goals on the year, seven assists. Stats are all pretty good across the board. What's been really surprising to me is that his tackling and defense has been so good. Because this is a guy who's uh, kind of in the uh, twilight of his career. Doesn't have a lot to prove, but the area is still playing some very physical defense. The team's current form, though, not so hot. They are 0-3-1 in their last three, and they have not had a single clean sheet over that time. That alone would be enough reason for me to pick against them, as well as being on the road. But bad urban planning is the key reason. Even though the match is not in Orlando, they're from Orlando. And as the management of this show, and I believe and much profess, nothing good can come from a city that is built on a swap. So, swamp. So club to foot Montreal all day long. Match number eight. After a weekend of heavy tracking like that, New Bites, you get Monday off to rest. And then we jump back into our official 10 matches on Tuesday. Say hello to our neighbors from the south in Honduras. The Liga Nacional is their top flight. They are in their Apertura stage. Remember that in most Latin American countries, the soccer year is divided into two separate stages that are very much separate mini-seasons. The Apertura 
opening and the Clausura closing stage. Honduras's Liga Nacional is probably the fourth best league in all of CONCACAF. The website I like to use for determining that is Kick Algorithms, and I think you'd find a hard time, uh, you'd have a hard time finding anybody who would really argue that. They're the second best one in Central America behind Costa Rica. Now, that's good enough that they get three CONCACAF League bursts, the stage champions from each of the Apertura and Clausura, and then the team with the best overall record that wasn't a champion of either stage will also get to go. But the stage title is very much on the line on Tuesday. You're going to love checking this out. The match that we want to look at is number B, Real España, taking on number one, CD Vida. And it is the last match here of this stage. By the way, you can catch this. Your cable package runs deep enough on Fox Deportes at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Here's where the table sits. Uh, CD Vida, they have 36. Real España, they have 35. And then... Just a few points behind at 31 are the two big traditional powerhouses from this country, Olympia and Matagua. And what they are rooting for is a draw. It's the last match of the season for these two clubs today, but Olympia and Matagua have two more matches to go. So if Real España and CD Vida play to a draw, earning only one point each, then Olympia or Matagua, by winning both of their last two matches, could end up pulling into first place. So... Very exciting times down there. And despite that, guess what? That's all we're going to say about that match because match number eight has traditionally become where I like to talk about food, using soccer as an excuse to learn other things in the world other than soccer. Again, food, 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 food. Yes, and guess what? Where this match is being played in the city of San Pedro Sula, it is a depressing city as far as cuisine full of just about nothing but fast food joints, and most of them American, quite frankly. From what I've read, Honduras, even among Central American countries, isn't exactly well known for its cuisine in general. And then San Pedro Sula, it's just a sad state of affairs down there. So we're going to go just a little bit to the north and east from there to the coast and talk about a recipe from the Garifuna people. I hope I'm saying that right, G-A-R-I-F-U-N-A. Uh, this group is an Afro-Indigenous people who were exiled historically from the island of St. Vincent of the Caribbean. Very specifically, they got kicked out, they moved here, and then uh, many of them moved on to Belize, while some stayed behind. There's probably more of them than to Belize, uh, to be honest. But the recipe that we're going to look at from this people is called Tapado, uh, tapado de Pescado, and it is sort of a, a, a coconut seafood soup from the North Caribbean coast. Now, your heavy broth, if you will, uh, a sofito, that is going to be the typical base for stews like this. And in Honduras, you're going to have a lot a lot of different vegetables, uh, peppers, as well as garlic and a variety of spices, other vegetables that you're going to have. You're going to chop these peeled tomatoes, uh, red peppers, jalapenos, cilantro, onions, and you want to cut them up very, very fine to be, to be traditional. And you're going to saute this mixture until it gets soft, but not browned. You would brown it if you wanted to pour it over something, but this is the base of the dish, so it still has to be very, very liquidy, not dried out. Then you're going to saute these chopped vegetables to make the sofrito, and then you're going to add something called achiote or achiote. I'm not sure of the pronunciation, but I had to read a little bit about, about it. I was more familiar with this word. It's basically something called anato, or those are the seeds from it. Very earthy tasting. You grind those up into an absolute powder, and by uh, 
mixing all that in, this is going to give it its traditional orangish red color to this particular dish. You put that into the fish broth or water, whichever you're using, stir that up till it's completely dissolved. Next, you're going to pour in your seafood stock or water, if that's what you're using, in with the dissolved accio and into the soprito, into the soup pot. Now, you're going to bring everything to a low boil, and then you're going to add the sliced plantain, which are kind of like uh, banana, but yuckier. I don't care for them, to be perfectly honest. Green banana, that sounds better, and yucca to the broth. And then the, one of the key ingredients, you're going to add the coconut milk, and you're going to simmer all that together with the vegetables for 10 minutes until it's almost done, but not quite because you're not done simmering. By the way, when you add coconut milk, because the recipe may not mention this, it may assume you know, you're probably going to get it in a can here in the States, obviously. You're going to want to stir that up. So that way the rich coconut cream at the bottom gets mixed in uh, with the thinner stuff at the top. That's going to give you your consistent and proper texture. You add the plantain and the yucca to the top of the broth. You add the plantain and yucca in there. And then, uh, by the way, your seafood that I mentioned earlier, I should say, uh, traditionally for this dish, you're going to use uh, lobster, tiny crab or shrimp or some combination. The partially cooked plantain you put in there and the yucca, you're going to add that all into the broth. And for this part, you want to make sure that all of the seafood is submerged. You want to make sure it gets properly and evenly cooked. Simmer this until the seafood is fully cooked because then your vegetables are going to be very, very soft. You've already simmered them some, and that's part of what's going to give this its signature texture. And then if you want to be really traditional, if you can handle having the eyes stare at you, you can take a whole, if you can find it, Yahoa fish or other white fish more commonly here stateside, like a, like a cod or something like that. Nothing too overly flaky. And you're going to lay that fried fish literally right over the top of the soup, not even in it. At that point, I don't even know if you're supposed to dunk the fish when you serve it or just take it off there. But that, at the very least, is the traditional presentation. And now, while you would still have to Google up your own recipe, I hope you've had fun imagining what tapado de pescado would be like to cook and what it might taste like. Match number nine. You get Wednesday off and we pick things up in Europe on Thursday for our ninth match where the UEFA World Cup qualifying is going on. They're in their group stage. The teams that are left have been divided into groups of five or six. They are all playing a double round robin. The winners of each group will automatically qualify for the World Cup. And then out of the 10 groups, the six best runners up will advance to play off against one another for three more spots and one more qualifying round. The matchup we're going to look at is number four in their group, Armenia. It's a group of six. They're taking on number three, North Macedonia. There's just two matches to go in this group of six. Germany has long since run away with it. They've, I think, mathematically qualified probably a full match or so ago for the World Cup. Here's how the next section of the table looks. In second place is Romania with 13, and then these two teams are at 12 points in the table. They have, of course, already played once in North Macedonia, only managed to get a draw against Armenia, nil-nil. As far as the overall recent series, Armenia has had the best of it with a 3-2-2 and record. And let's look at the host first, Armenia. They are ranked number 41 in UEFA. And uh, really, based on where they are compared to the other teams in the ranking, they should be finishing in fifth place. So the fact that they're still in it to go one more round is really a big deal. They're ranked number 99 by FIFA. Never been to the World Cup. Never been to the European Championships even either. Now, in the Nations League this last year, 2020-2021, they went 3-2-1. 
All the national teams were divided up into four different uh, divisions, A, B, C, and D. They won their group, which was then Division C, and so they will move up in competition next year to Division B. Pretty exciting. Maybe I should say Division Two match number B. Well, neither here nor there. As far as how they're doing this year in this group, they are 3-3-2 here in the group stage with an 8-11 goal differential. To be perfectly honest, they've been a bit below average on offense and defense, both. So they've been in a playing gritty, gutty football and uh, getting their results in close matches. Uh, who's been hot for him? Well, tied at, the, or not tied, but having two goals in this event, which is the most for their team, is their midfielder, Tigran Barsegian, I'm going to pronounce it. Uh, currently, he plays for a pretty good group at this level. He plays in Kazakhstan for one of the historical powers there, a club called Astana. He's got 41 national team caps for Armenia since 2016, but easily the best player on this team. Their superstar for years and years has been Henrik Mictarian. He is their captain. He plays winger. He's currently with Roma over in Italy's Serie A. He likes to play attacking midfielder, but he sits right behind the striker where he can score or facilitate. And he's had quite the resume. His longest career stop was in Dortmund over in uh, the Bundesliga in Germany, but he's also spent a lot of time with uh, Manchester United and Arsenal in the Premier League. And we have a USA connection here. We've got a guy that plays currently for the Columbus crew that's on this national team, forward Lucas Zellerayan. Actually, he was born in Argentina, not Armenia, but his dad or uh, his grandfather, I don't know which, I know it's his dad's lineage, is Armenian. And so knowing that he really probably wouldn't have much shot at uh, playing nationally for Argentina, he has taken advantage of this particular Route. And he's got uh, two national team caps so far. The team's current form, well, not so great. They started the group stage 3-0-0, which means they have been 0-3-2 since then. And they've only scored two times over those five matches. Now, North Macedonia, they are known as the Lynxes or the Lions. Uh, I don't need to start booing again. We're just going to go with the Lynxes. They are ranked number 34 by UEFA, which means that uh, based on where they are compared to everybody else, this should be the team that only finishes in fourth. So they're playing a little bit better than one might expect as well. And they're ranked number 65 in the world by FIFA. Never been to the World Cup apart from Yugoslavia. This region used to be part of that country, of course. 2020, they made their first European championships ever. They went 0-0-3, and I'm sure they were still partying like it was 1999, but by gosh, they're a Northern European team, kind of a summer league, and they made it with their national team. As far as the most recent Nations League, uh, they finished number B in their group. They started in and are remaining in Division C. As far as this group stage, they are also 3-3-2, three, three and two, the 15-10 and 10 goal differential, second-best offense, third-best defense. So this is probably the more talented team, to be perfectly honest, between these two. Number three in event scoring with three goals in this stage is Alexander Tchaikovsky. He plays both forward and winger from them. Right now he is playing for a club called AAB over in Denmark. Pretty good league. He's on loan from Mallorca, which right now plays in the top league in Spain. So pretty good resume. And he's earned uh, 72 national team caps from North Macedonia since 2011. The best all-around player, though, and whose last name I'm sure I'm going to butcher, is Enos Bardhai, if I went phonetically, B-A-R-D-H-I. He plays central midfielder, and he really is their star. He's been with a pretty darn good team over in La Liga in Spain, Levante, since 2017. Statistically, he's a jack-of-all-trades. He's really, really good at everything, but he's a better-than-average passer. 
As far as the team's current form, they are just 1-1-3 in their last five, and they only scored uh, in one of those matches. That was a 2-2 draw with Iceland. So how do I think this is going to go? I think Macedonia's the better team, but I don't think either of these teams is on fire right now. My prediction is that it will be a low-scoring draw and that if Romania can get by Iceland, that will all but cement them finishing in second place in this particular group and moving on to the next World Cup qualifying round. And match number 10, we're done. Finally! One more match in our official 10 of tracking until we get into our three bonus matches, of course. I will immediately follow this one. We're headed to Africa for the first time this podcast. More World Cup qualifying group stage action. There, things are a little bit simpler than in Europe, at least to describe over a podcast. Groups of four, winners will advance on to the next round, and nobody else will be going anywhere but home. Of the 10 group winners, only five will end up getting to advance to the World Cup. They will have one more qualifying round amongst themselves. There are currently four matches into the group stage as they complete their double round robins. Two matches to go. My subtitle for this one, follow the Confederation rankings. So let's talk about the match. It's number one currently in their group, and surprisingly so, Tanzania taking on number three, Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, Tanzania and Benin are tied at seven on points. Meanwhile, DRC have just five. They've already played once at DRC, and DRC only managed to hold Tanzania to a draw. We'll talk about the hosts first. They are known as the uh, Taifa or Taifa Stars. They've never made a World Cup appearance. They are currently ranked number 37 in the African Confederation. And uh, they've got about the same number of national teams, by the way, as Europe, something like 54, 55, right in there. They're ranked just number 137 in the world by FIFA. In fact, they're low enough because they're in the bottom half of the Confederation rankings in Africa. They actually had to advance all the way out of the first qualifying round just to get to another round to get into the group stage. So they have already been overachieving. That said, they have made two AFCON appearances before. The AFCON, by the way, is their equivalent of the European Championships from the national teams. Most recently in 2019, they've never scored any group stage points. No wins, no draws. As far as this event, though, they're doing quite well. 2-1-1 one, one in their four matches with a 5-4 and four goal differential. That's actually the best offense, five goals in four games uh, between these four teams, and the defense has been a little bit below average. On the event scoring leaderboard, I'm so glad I happened to catch this guy's middle name because I didn't originally. It's a Samon Happy God, that's all one word, Msuva. I just love it. Um, he plays both winger and second striker, and both because of his middle name now and because of the club he plays for, he's one of my favorite players in the whole world. He plays for Why Dad Casablanca out of Morocco. Another episode, I'll talk about why that's my favorite team. Pretty fun. In any case, the team's current form, they are 2-0-1 in their last three. and They've got a real advantage. No matter how this match turns out, as long as they can like at least get a draw, they're going to be in pretty darn good shape because their last match is against last place Madagascar, not toothless. They don't have zero points, but Madagascar has really been struggling. Now, the Democratic Republic Congo, they are known as the Leopards, and they're ranked number 10 in the African Confederation. Uh, They are probably the lowest ranked team that you would expect to win their group based on the rankings. They're also ranked number 56 by FIFA. So you can see there's quite a gap there. Uh, DRC really should be doing a lot better and running away with this group. In fact, quite frankly, uh, 1974, they made the World Cup, got to the group stage, didn't earn any points. They were the first sub-Saharan team to get to the World Cup, although they weren't the DRC then. The nation was known as uh, Zaire. 
They've got two AFCON titles to their credit, but the more recent one was in 1974. It's been a while. They didn't even qualify for the 2021 version, but the ones before that, they qualified for the last four, and they finished as high as number three. That was in 2015. For this group stage, they are 1-2-1 and one with a 4-3 and three goal differential, second best on offense and defense, so things are pretty packed statistically, if you can't tell. Number one group scorer is theirs for this event. He's got three, and that is Dumir C. Mbokani. Uh, he plays for All Kuwait, uh, and he's got a neat resume as well. He's had some European action. He played for both Antwerp and Standard Liege, uh, two very good teams over in Belgium. And then he also played nearly as long in between for AS Monaco in French's League, in France's League One. Team's current form, they are 1-1-1 one, one, and one in their last three. And here's the thing that's really going to potentially bite them at the end. They just lost to Madagascar. Told you that they weren't toothless, the Malagasy, and now you know. This all said, it would seem like I'm pointing to the DRC going down, but statistically on paper, this is the team that should have been dominating at some point when they realize that their international season is on the line, and I think that's going to be now. They're going to play like they're supposed to. Desperation is going to mean they're going to fight, and I believe that they are going to get a road win and really make this group stage tight. Bring forth... The bonus matches. This is perhaps my favorite part of the whole broadcast. Three matches that are different in various ways from all the other ones that you've been hearing about so far. The number one versus number B matchups and the big important in their own right international tournaments. Now, also, this is my favorite part because you got to help decide what the content was. Every single week, early in the week, I put up polls on Twitter. You vote. Magic content happens. It's dreamy. Now, how are they different? You'll see. Our first match is a first place versus last place matchup that we like to call the... Route, 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 route of, 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 of the week, 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 week. And it is a Sunday match. The one you have selected, probably because you thought it would be the hardest for me to pronounce, you're probably right, is the Burkina Faso Premier League. This is in Africa. It's the 21st ranked league in the CAF, so a little bit better than average. Only the winner gets to go to the Champions League. Two teams are going to be relegated. It's very early in the season. Now, our home team isn't quite in last place. They were when I scouted it. They're right now they're in a three-way tie for last, but they're ahead of one of the teams of a goal differential. But you voted for it. I didn't want to change it. Number 15 out of 16, RC Bobo Diolasso versus number one, Salitas. Uh, right now, Salitas lead RCK by one, by the way. So things are really, really tight at the top, but it's very early in the season. They're only like six matches in. Now, let's talk about the home team first, your underdogs, R.C. Bobo uh, Diolasso. Bobo Diolasso is the actual hyphenated name of the town. It's the second largest one in the country. It's in the southwest region, about a million people. Uh, history majors might know that it was a very important uh, base city of operations for the French when they were fighting against the upstart anti-colonialists. Footy-wise, they have won four league titles. Most recent one was 2014-2015. Last year, they finished uh, above average in the league, number five. This year, they are 1-2-3 and three on the season with a 2-5 and five goal differential. So the offense has really been more the issue, to be honest. As far as the team's current form, they are 1-1 one one in their last two after a three-match skid, and they pitched clean sheets in both of those resulting matches. 
Now, Salidas, the full name is Salimata at Taser, if I'm getting my French right. They play out of Ouagadougou, the capital city. This is their, uh, or rather this isn't, but their first Premier League season was very recent, just 2017-18. That said, they've already made two Confederation Cup appearances, most recently 2019-2020. Confederation Cup, by the way, is their secondary international club tournament in Africa, very much the equivalent of the Europa League in, of course, Europe. Last year, they finished in third place in the league. This year, even though they're in first place and it's early, they've already got two losses. They're 4-0-2 on the year with a very uh, nice, at least on the offensive end, 11-7 goal differential. They've got the number one offense quite a bit by scoring almost two goals per match. Their defense, however, right now it's in the bottom third statistically. Their current form, well, they lost their first match of the season and then they lost their most recent match. So my thoughts on the game, and I don't think I've ever done this before. I am actually going to call something of an upset. I think that RCBD, the home team, can actually get a result and maybe even a win out of this. I think that Salitas being somewhat newer to the uh, Premier League uh, game, only being up there three or four years, and not being very good on defense so far. They say defense travels, and I will also extend that and say that lack of defensive competence travels, and they don't seem very good in that regard. Meanwhile, uh, uh, RCBD, they seem to be playing much better the last two matches, so I am predicting that they will at least get a tie and perhaps even a win. Could you be the most meaningless match in the world? Yes, you could. You're so boring. Perhaps never was such an event as this, the most meaningless match in the world, undeserving of its own theme song, but that's how P. Noob and I roll every single week. And besides, what other show would deign to put a spotlight on two teams perfectly in the middle of their table? No one but us, at least that I've ever heard. And the match that you have voted for in its meaninglessness is from the Austrian Bundesliga. Now, this is a league that's on the rise. It's the number eight league ranked in UEFA right now. That's up two from a year ago in the new coefficients. They just passed Russia's Premier League and the top flight in Belgium, a league that's really been on decline the last two years. In any case, the matchup is number eight, Admiral Mudling versus number nine, Reet. It's R-I-E-D, but my understanding is that last constant's a little bit more similar to a T. In any case, let's talk about the hosts first. Admira Mudling. They just mostly go by Admira. Mudling is the name of the town. It's just a few so- miles south of Vienna. It's essentially part of their greater metro. Vienna is in the northwest part of the country. Mudling, uh, that particular conurbation has about uh, 20,000 people or so in it. What is it most famous for? It's got one of Europe's largest shopping centers. You usually think of London or Paris or the very biggest metros. But here it is, just south of Vienna. Uh, This is also something of an industrial hub for the country. That used to be the case overall. But in more recent decades, all of the heavier industry has moved farther south. So you have a lot of lighter manufacturing and medium-sized companies that do that that are still using this area as their industrial hub. This team has won nine league titles, but perhaps they can't be faulted for being so mediocre now because their most recent one was all the way back in the 1960s. Now, they have made three Europa Leagues within the last decade. Best finish they ever had was the third qualifying round, two rounds short of the event proper, the group stage. 
last year. They barely avoided relegation. Uh, they were in 11th place. So, hey, moving up to the most meaningless match of the world, that's practically a promotion. Uh, this year, the offense, that's been the problem overall because it's been number eight. That's below average, but tied for number four on defense, above average. The most average player that they have looking at the stats for all their starters, Marion Mustafa. Normally, we like to focus on the best players, but it's the most meaningless match in the world. Let's look at an average guy. He is one of their strikers, just 20 years old, so perhaps he can be forgiven. He's got uh, two goals and three assists so far on the fairly young year. I think they've played just over a dozen matches. He is on loan from Mainz, M-A-I-N-Z, which is one of the lesser teams right now over in Germany's Bundesliga. But not only from Mainz, but he's actually on loan from their uh, second division squad. In any case, what's he like statistically? Well, uh, he's pretty accurate on his crosses, but he just doesn't do a lot of them. To be perfectly honest, given his uh, position on the field, kind of same thing for tackles. He's had a hard time with his shooting. He's rarely on target, only about a quarter of the time so far. His passing's been mediocre at best. We will mention one good player to look for. Tied for number three on assists in the league so far is Leonardo Lukasevic. He's a defender, 22 years old. The team's current form, 0-2-1. And even though it's been the defense that has been better overall on the year, their defense has actually been letting them down a little bit of late. So let's move on to Reet. Uh, The full name of the town, I believe I'm getting this correct, is Reet M. Incres. Three different words. or Yeah, Incres, rather. Sorry. Reet M. In Christ. It's in the north central part of the country, uh, probably about a half hour or so drive north of Salzburg, area of about 11,000 in the Alpine foothills. Uh, what is it most famous for? Not a lot, to be perfectly honest. The biggest thing I could find, and uh, I was a liberal arts guy, but not really an art history guy at all, but apparently there's a famous uh, family of sculptors that are or were from there called the Schwanthaler family, and they're all from this little area. As far as the footy, 2011-12, they made their only Europa League appearance and made it all the way to the playoff round, just shy of the group stage and event proper. Last year, they were in ninth, so once again, hey, they're in a meaningless match, but it's a little better than last year. Uh, Tied for ninth place on offense, so you'd think their defense was better, but actually they've got the worst defense in the league. They give up over two goals per match. They're playing in the match of meaningless now, but I think they might be in our last bonus match by the time the European season is over. You'll find out what that is shortly if you're new. The most average player that they have is Philip Pomer. He's one of their central midfield guys. He has one goal on the season, uh, especially for his position. He's a particularly poor passer statistically, but that said, he does a little bit better on the defensive side. He's a pretty good tackler. Interestingly, their best all-around player is another guy who helps out in the central midfield, Probably a little bit more offensively oriented. He's got one goal and two assists. Daniel Offenbacher. He's better in every single stat that I could find than the first guy that we mentioned. A particularly good tackler and a very solid passer. This team's current form, 1-1-1 one, one, and one of their last three. And their defense has also been letting them down of late, which, of course, isn't surprising since they've, uh, you know, they're worse than the league in that stat. So who do I think is going to win? Not telling you. Haven't decided. Doesn't matter. It's the most meaningless match in the world. For our final mini preview, we bring you two teams from the very bottom of their table who will be sadly squaring off. This is the match of Disappointed! And Kevin Sorbo's Herculean scorn. It is appropriate. He dislikes these teams, and you should too. They are worthy of being ostracized. The one that you voted for is a Saturday match at a Lithuania's A Liga. 
or Liga. It has a Y in it. I didn't bother to look it up because on behalf of these two teams, I wasn't going to put in the effort. They're way too disappointed in. Ed Ng. Yeah, I did that again. I like my suffixes, apparently. They are playing out of the number 34 ranked league in all of UEFA. A little bit below average. It's actually not horrible for a summer league. All the Northern European countries have to start their seasons a lot sooner. But that's no thanks to these two sad sack bottom feeders. And they relegate two sad sack bottom feeders out of the 10 teams each and every year. There's only three matches left in the season. So there's a pretty good chance it will be these two. One of them, in fact, it is guaranteed. Number nine, second to last place, Banga Gargsday is taking on number 10, Nevija. And uh, is Banga trailing uh, Denava by two? They have just a little bit of hope. Meanwhile, they lead Nevija by 19. Yeah, I'm not sure they're not starting like a youth team. And by youth, I mean eight or nine-year-olds. They just showed up for this season and said, uh, we liked it better in Division Two. We're not going to put forth any money or resources. Just send us down. It's fine. Forget we were here. And Bangai have done their uh, best to take advantage of that. They've won nil three and nil two on the road. And then more recently, they won 5-2 at home. And now they get to play host Again, they are the Tigers playing out of a town called Garg's Day. It's in the west part of the country, uh, 15, maybe 20,000 people. Uh, only thing they got going on there in any way, shape, or form that I could do on a quick search. They've got a big pet food plant there uh, that's part of the Mars Company. I hope it's not the Mars Corporation that makes candy, or I'm going to really start having to be extra careful when I get into uh, P-Noob's leftover Halloween stash. Is, it, is that a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup or... Do I detect a hint of milk bone? I'm not sure. That would be more disappointing than anything happening on the field, but not by much with these teams. This team has spent about half of the last 20 years in Division II. Last year, they gave the old college try, finished in fourth place. Not bad. Fair is fair. Best they've ever done. They even made two Europa League appearances in the 2010s, but they never got past the first qualifying round. And in fact, they never even scored a goal. So even when they're seemingly doing okay, they're really still incredibly crappy. They are 8-5-20 and 20 on the year. Speaking of crappy, that's a whole lot of losses. Second worst offense and defense. The defense is especially putrid. They give up over two goals per match. Their goal differential is twice as bad as anybody else in the leagues outside of Nevijas. Somehow, someway, they have got the second best leading score in the league, though. Simonus Urbis. Now, where on earth did he learn to ply his trade? Because it certainly wasn't with this team. Oh, I see it. Last year, he was with number one, Zalgiris. I'm sure that he wishes he were there or anywhere else now. Zalgiris is uh, one of the historical best two teams in the country. Now, with the uh, most meaningless match in the world, we looked for average players who were somewhat meaningless. So for this one, we looked for the worst player on their team. And nearly as I could tell, that's probably a defender named Pius Srebalius. He's a defender. He's got a goal. He was probably out of position even when he happened to score that one. Team's current form after losing four in a row, they've actually gone one 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 and zero oh the last two games. They've learned to play a modicum of defense, maybe just maybe, but probably not. They could cry them out of the relegation zone. Meanwhile, Nevija they play out of a city that's also odd for me to pronounce. Thank you so much, guys. It's Kadine. Couldn't you vote for like English teams for this match? 
I don't have to look up all these pronunciations. The club is named for a river, Nevija, and then Kedaine is the town. Uh, it's a town that's in the central part of the country, about 25,000. You want to talk about uh, disappointing. This is the cucumber capital of the country, and apparently it's the most exciting thing that they have going on. Even more exciting than soccer because they have an annual festival after this. Horrible for some, flavorless at best for the rest of us. Boring vegetable. Wow. All right, back to the footy. They have won the Division One title in this country three times, but their halcyon days are long since gone. Last one with titles in the 1970s. They did win Division Two last year, but most of their history, they've been somewhat of a yo-yo team and more second yo than first yo of late. They spent the last 14 years in Division Two. This year, yeah, they might as well be in Division 18. Two, four, and 27 on the year. By far the worst in every statistical means that you could measure. They uh, give up uh, two and a half goals per game. Their goal differential, as bad as Bangaz's, is, is almost twice as bad as Bangagargs's. Just incredibly horrible. Team leading score, yes, they do have somebody who is flirting with competence. Aratus Gegzna. I know you're a good player, and I know that's how you not how you pronounce your name, but blame your teammates. I didn't bother to look it up. Uh, couldn't even find any uh, real amount of player records and player ratings. So I don't know who their worst is. Whoever it is, they're probably just in some sort of witness protection program. As far as the team's form, three straight losses, winless in their last 19. Saddest of all, they started the season with just the tiniest bit of hope. They actually got one of their two wins to start the year. And then, oh, look at what has happened. So rather than wishing you losers good luck, we will send you off in a forum that is befitting of how horrible you two teams are. It was bad. It was awful. I was terrible. Hey, boo. Boo. Yep, that's actually how we end it. (laughs) That's up number 56 in the books. Can't wait to see how all these matches turn out. Here at the end, I'd like to thank the management for all his editing and production wizardry. To Dan, my former website's former Interno Inferno, his work always on fire. Thank you very much for all your creative efforts and inspiration. To, of course, my daughter, Person Noob. Thank you so much for your help this week and each and every time we do this. And, of course, to you, thank you so much. We know you have a lot of choices for soccer podcasts, and we endeavor to create something that's really unique in that particular landscape with the matches that we cover and how we cover it. We'll do it again in a few days. So until then, have a fabulous footy week. Take care. (laughs) 